Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I like quality writing and reporting. There is a shortage of it out there, but I'll tell you who does it well. People always ask me, who do you read on this beat? Who do you read on that beat? person I read when it comes to the University of Washington is our next guest, Christian Capel. He's been at this a long time. He's a true professional. He has uh, done what I have done. He has launched a pirate ship. He's gone rogue, whatever metaphor you want to use. It's called On Mont Lake. You see him on Twitter, at Christian Capel, and you can occasionally find him on this radio show as I bring him on, drag him onto the show, kicking and screaming. He's joining us now. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm a little bit, uh, like, my duties around the household have been neglected because of all the Pac-12 stuff. So I'm, uh, you know, like, I, I'm bringing in the trash cans that have been out by the curb for four days. Stuff like that. <laughs> I know how that goes. I uh, I was at Costco not an hour ago. So there you go. <laughs> Catching up. Um, oh, by the way, I'm a big fan of Costco. I think, I think Costco, we oh. can learn a lot from Costco, could we not? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that there are a whole lot of corporations that are run more efficiently than Costco that treat their employees better than Costco does. Um, I feel like if you become a Costco member and you go there regularly, it's like a an 80% chance that you kind of become an evangelist for them, and I'm, I'm on that train for sure. <laughs> I love it. And you've just been there, which is such a testament. It's not like people coming home from Disneyland going, never again. I don't want to do it. The lines were terrible. You know, it's it's uh, it's an ringing endorsement. Um, look, uh, the Huskies, I, I, I saw your piece today, and you're doing a hell of a job. How can they possibly be better on offense? You're writing about how they might be better on offense this season. Yeah, I don't know in terms of how they finish statistically within the conference and nationally and all that. There's not a lot of room to, to go up. Maybe the numbers themselves can go up. But I think the players have a feeling like last year, it's easy to forget, was year one in an offensive system. So you know, for Michael Penix Jr., it wasn't. He started running that offense as a redshirt freshman in 2019 when Kalen DeBoer was his offensive coordinator at Indiana. And I talked to him about this at Media Day a little bit. You know, hey, Dylan McMillan made this comment this offseason that he thought you guys just scratched the surface last year. What do you think he meant by that? And Penix said, well, it was my fifth year in the system, but it was all those guys' first year. And, you know, I, if you're Jalen McMillan, if you're Romo Dunze, if you're one of those offensive linemen, it's probably only natural to feel like your understanding of the offense and your ability to execute it without thinking and all those sorts of things is going to be better in year two than it is in year one. So a lot of stuff has to line up and there's there's injury luck and they got pretty fortunate on that side of the ball last year that way. So there are some things that aren't totally within your control that, that have to fall the right way for them to build on last year. But I think with all the pieces back and with it being year two and, and maybe, you know, the few hiccups that there were last year or the, the few miscommunications that there were, maybe they feel like they can clean those up. Um, I think they feel like they, they've added some wrinkles and there's probably more that Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, is comfortable giving them and asking them to do. And it, it, it won't feel like too much this year when it might have felt like too much last year when they were just learning it. So um, it's it's as confident of a group as I've probably seen on that side of the ball at Washington. Super impressed with Penix Jr. on media day. Had a great interview with him, and I thought, gosh, he's a normal kid and, you know, a, 
obviously a very experienced quarterback. Uh, we're talking to Christian Capel on Montlake.com, covers Washington football. Obviously a big week. Uh, last week, Friday, Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten. Um, the reaction you had to that, were, did it surprise you the way it unfolded? You've spoken with Anna Marie Kasse, the president at Washington. What has that been like? Yeah, it was, I'd say by Friday, um, going to bed Thursday night, I think you were talking about a couple of fan bases in Washington and Oregon that were expecting to be in the Big Ten by the end of the day. So then the developments of Friday morning, you know, oh, wait, hold on a second. Maybe the Pac-12 is going to pull this thing off. There's a call this morning. It sounds like they might stay together. I think that was the surprising element of it. You know, I don't know that that would have shocked me to hear that two months ago um, because it did seem like, there was a lot of optimism from presidents who spoke what little they did. And George Klyovkov presented such a confident front in media day and felt like everything kind of, kind of deteriorated after that. But it's, it's been strange. You know, I think people are, are kind of sorting through mixed emotions. There are not an insignificant number of folks who uh, I think the day USC and UCLA left the conference felt like anything shy of Washington ending up in the Big Ten would be a disappointment and that the sport was headed that way. And whether it was this cycle or the next cycle in five years or however far down the road, that that was kind of probably where Washington needed to be if it wanted to secure its future and have a, a seat at the table and all those sort of things. So, I'm, uh, it, you know, it, it's thinking about just the fact that the Washington is going to be in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 may not exist in any form is a lot to get your head around, but it wasn't hard to predict on June 30th, 2022, that, that this was kind of the, the end game, whether that was going to be now or, or a couple of years down the road. So I'm not shocked. Um, I'm a little surprised that so much confidence was put out there by the conference commissioner. And um, mm-hmm. it did sort of seem like there was momentum toward, well, maybe they'll get something done. But um, by, the, by the time it all shook down, it kind of seemed like that was going to be the inevitable conclusion. You've got an athletic director in Jen Cohen who grew up going to the games, holding her dad's hand, walking across the bridge into the stadium, and um, now she's running that athletic department. I have to think there's some emotion and tradition and the rivalry mixed up in all of this. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I know Washington has said that they, they're they committed to continuing the Apple Cup and, and playing Wazoo across all sports. It doesn't seem like the – that sentiment is as strong on the Washington State side. I know Pat Chun said yesterday that, hey, whatever decision they gain, they make, it's not going to be an emotional one. It'll, it'll be one that makes sense, you know, objectively for Washington State. I will say, you know, going to the Big Ten and having, five, you know, just like in the Pac-12, I, I assume five, you know, five home conference games one year, four home conference games the next year. I don't know that Washington – can commit to playing in Pullman every other year and still leave open the possibility that they might play some other home-and-home type non-conference matchups. I don't know that the the schedule and the revenue that you need from having seven home games and everything will, will shake out. And it seems like Wazoo's pretty insistent on playing the Apple Cup in Pullman every other year, as they should be. I think it'd be weird if they, they played it any other way. But there's a, there's a lot to sort out on that front and, and a lot of feelings to sort through, understandably so. The Big Ten Conference, you know, different level of competition, especially at the top half of that conference. What does Washington need to do in your mind in the next year to two to really be ready to compete against a Michigan, Ohio State, and, and try to get to a playoff? 
Yeah, probably start winning more battles for, for some of these four-star recruits and some of the top recruits on the West Coast. And, you know, I, I'm sure they probably feel like this helps with that. That, you know, I think USC kind of thought it was going to have the market cornered a little bit on being able to tell California recruits that, hey, if you want to you want to play seven games a year on the West Coast and compete in one of the two major conferences, you got to do it at, at USC. And the only reason I don't include UCLA in that conversation is because they're so heavy in the portal. I, I don't know how many high school kids they're even going to take each year now. But, um, you know, this, this puts Washington right in that conversation. And Oregon, you know, is coming along, too. So it's, it's kind of going to be like it was before, where for those, those four-star kids, that skill talent, you know, those really heavily recruited kids in Southern California – even if they're staying out west, if you're Washington, you got to battle Oregon, you got to battle USC for them. But at least now, you know you can you can take. Well, I don't want to play in the Pac-12. Well, I want to play in one of the two major conferences. Off the list of reasons why a kid wouldn't go to Washington. So, yeah, I think that's the key. Continue to establish themselves as a premier destination on the West Coast. That hey, you can say you, you're going to have every bit of everything that USC and Oregon have in terms of resources down the road and. Um, you know, continue to continue to plug holes through the portal. I think they've done a pretty good job identifying positions where they need experience depth, where they might need a starter or two, and going out and getting a guy who can who can actually help them and who's actually really a value add. And they've they've their hit rate on those that is pretty high so far. And you know, I think going to the Big Ten, you know, maybe you've, you've got a, even a, a stronger pitch to those those type of um, recruits as well. Christian Capel on Montlake covers Washington football. Kalen DeBoer. Coach, um, you know, great first year. It, we talk all about players and what they need to do better, what they can do better. Um, what is your sense on him? Is Has he got better footing, got his feet underneath him, the timing of the season? He's not fresh into the job and trying to put a program together. He's Now he's focused on continuity. Um, you know, your, your assessment of him in season two. Yeah, I was just telling somebody the other day, it feels like he's been there a long time. Um, and maybe that's just because the Jimmy Lake era was such a blip and Kalen DeBoer, I think does have in terms of culture and foundational priorities and those sorts of things, a lot of similarities with, with Chris Peterson. So, you know, maybe, maybe that's why it just sort of felt like from day one, he, he seemed like a really natural fit there and like he was right at home. And, you know, I don't know from, from the time he got there, you know, he right away convinced, Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan to stick around, um, recruited the, the current roster pretty well there, where I think there were a lot of guys they were probably looking at losing to the portal uh, if they hadn't made a coaching change. So, you know, he, he really hit the ground running and, you know, last season played out the way it did. And, um, yeah, I, this year, you know, we'll, we'll see what the defense looks like. I think that was kind of the, the jury was still out last year a little bit on Kalen DeBoer um, that, hey, the, the offense looks really good. Um, as as his reputation would have you think probably going into it. And, you know, obviously he knows that side of the ball and they were so uh, innovative and, and looked so efficient and put out such a great product. But they gave up a lot of points. They gave up a lot of passing yards. And they battled some injuries too. But, you know, did the, the personnel changes they made in the secondary this offseason shore up the depth so that they don't get stuck in a position like they did last year if a couple guys get hurt and, that they find some playmakers on that side of the ball who can really make a difference. And, you know, can they, can they scheme against some of these really good quarterbacks and passing attacks that they're going to see? So 
terms of on the field, I think that's what, what everyone's sort of waiting to see. Um, the, the list of question marks on him is pretty short, though, for a guy who's only coached one season. Yeah, I think uh, what a remarkable first season. Uh, you've been at this a while. What What is this program like to cover? How is access? How does it compare maybe to a Chris Peterson or a Jimmy Lake program in your mind? Yeah, I should probably knock on wood when I say this, but it's uh, – <laughs> It's been about as good as it can be, honestly. I mean, just objectively speaking, um, they make several players available after every practice. They just let the media watch um, all every every second of their first six practices here, and they'll have a couple others that are open. They're pretty much closed from here on out. But um, you know, if, if you want to do a big feature on somebody, it's it's not real difficult to to get them to work with you on on setting up an interview and those sorts of things and. Um, it's easy to take it for granted. He mentioned Chris Peterson. You know, Chris Peterson did a lot of things right and will be very fondly remembered by Husky fans for a lot of good reason. But, hey, for the media, you know, it was it was a tough program to cover a little bit at times because they're just, they're, there wasn't that uh, that openness. Um, so it's, it's a lot different than it was then. I think, you know, Kalen DeBoer kind of sees the media as a, uh, you know, a means to communicate with the fan base and a means to, sort of get their, their message out. And I think that when you're when you're confident in what you're doing internally and you you feel like you've you've really got something there, you want people to know about it. And I think that they sort of have that confidence. And you can tell, um, you know, just even in conversations with players, it seems like guys are a little bit looser. Uh, there maybe isn't so much thought about saying the wrong thing or getting in trouble or anything like that. And um, it's it's really been um, it's been a different experience for sure. What game on the calendar is circled for Washington fans? I think there's two. I mean, always Oregon, right? Especially coming off of a bye week for both teams. You know, obviously it seems like the Pac-12 prioritized making that a really premier matchup, and you know that should be a lot of fun. And November fourth at USC, although it doesn't have the same significance now that it's not going to be the last time that, that these teams face each other in the same conference because they're both headed to the Big Ten. But um, you know, reigning Heisman Trophy winner against Michael Penix Jr., who's going to be on everybody's short list for the Heisman going into the year. If both teams are are unbeaten or, or at least they'll only have one loss, you know that's going to have huge Pac-12 title implications. It's it's under the bright lights in L.A. and and at the Coliseum, and there's always, you know, something special about that just, just on its own. So um, I think, you know, first Oregon, you know, people are, are always going to be up for that game, especially after those two teams combined for such a classic last year in Eugene. But uh, a lot of people are thinking about that USC game too. I, I think Oregon fans, happy to see that game on the schedule, probably not happy about going to Washington. Under the radar, though, Washington has to go to Racer Stadium in Oregon State. Be real with us. Don't be afraid to offend Oregon State fan. Is Washington thinking about that game at all? I mean, I think they should be. You know, if you're if you're talking about games, they should be thinking about based on how how quality the opponents are. I know talking to Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, the the day after I think the Big Ten news broke, and he was just talking about the history of the Pac-12 and some of the tradition and you know how just how good the football is expected to be this year. And Oregon State was the first school that he mentioned, you know, they, they know how tough of, of an opponent the Beavers were last year. I think they only scored 24 points on them, needed a last second field goal to beat them in a windstorm in Seattle. So, um, you know, they they remember that, you know, they know 
they know the the mind, the football mind that Jonathan Smith is, and and we'll see what DJ Uyunglele can do for that offense this season. But yeah, I uh, you know that that's that's one game that I was looking forward to anyway because they, like you said, the new Research Stadium, and we'll check that out. And it looks like the media tour um, people came away pretty impressed, but a lot of more significance now knowing that that's the last time that, that they're going to face Oregon State probably for a while or, or at least as members of the same conference. Let me throw something at you, Christian, because there seems to be some new momentum for the Pac-4, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, to possibly make a run at staying together, add a couple of schools, and try to either be a group of six school that uh, – tries to put a team in the playoff, or maybe try to keep the A5 status and get an automatic uh, playoff berth. If that happens, if if the Pac-12, as we once knew it, is over, but the Pac-12 still exists, is there a clearer conscience for Oregon and Washington? Do they feel better about that, or is it a non-factor? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think when you make a decision like going to the Big Ten and leaving the Pac-12 behind, you, you kind of have to be okay with – owning whatever happens in your wake. Uh, so I I would guess that that's their mindset that, hey, you know, you, you, you made the best decision for you and, and you did what you thought needed to be done. But, yeah, I think, look, any future where Oregon State and Washington State can thrive as FBS members and legitimately compete for a playoff spot each year is good for college football. And any scenario where that's not the case, is, is not good for college. It's, it's not good for college football when the school in Pullman and the school in Corvallis aren't, aren't part of things. You know, there's so much tradition and, and history there. And, you know, those schools have shown throughout the, the years that they can sort of overcome the resource gap and punch above their weight and, you know, shoot, Oregon State's doing it right now. They won 10 games last year. So, um, you know, maybe that does clear the conscience a, a, a little bit, but, um, Gosh, it's what what a mess, huh? I mean, I, I it's just there's so much to sort out there, and yeah, you know, I, I think I don't think there's anybody who who doesn't want to see those schools, you know, find a, a path to a, a viable future for their football programs and for for their whole athletic department. Christian Capel, before I cut you loose, uh, you know, I mentioned you going uh, rogue, the pirate ship. I've launched my thing. You have on Mont Lake. How is it going, State of the Union? Because I feel like it's one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah, it's um, it's going as well as I could have ever envisioned, and probably even a little bit better. Um, it's it's past the point of okay, is this going to be viable or not? You know, do I need to reevaluate this a year in, and and really more along the lines of okay, how you know, how how high can we go? How far can I take it? So I'm, I've never felt better about an employment situation, frankly. Um, you know, it, it's one of those where. Hey, yeah, you know, you wouldn't have left on you left the athletic to go out on your own, so you should be thanking them. And I don't know that I'm quite there, but uh, I'm I'm very pleased with the situation I'm in right now. Christian Capel on Montlake.com. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Good stuff. If you want to read him, his piece that he wrote today he has no paywall. Once a week, he just writes to write. Anybody can read it. Go to onmontlake.com if you want to check that out. Coming up, uh, we got the 5 at 5 at the top of the hour. Stay tuned. Going to be a very, very interesting college football season. Maybe the most interesting and unique season in the history of certainly Pacific time zone football. 
with everything going on with the Pac-12. There's some real interesting stuff afoot with Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford. Keep an eye on it. I'm going to try to find out more in the next 24 hours, maybe the next 12 hours um, as uh, this stuff develops. But uh, I think there's a real urgency at Oregon State and other places to figure out those three other places to figure out where they're going to be, what they're going to do. You kind of need to know, need to know what's going to happen in 2024. Um, I reached out to Giothi Murthy, the president at Oregon State, uh, and asked uh, ha- asked her people if she wanted to come on the show. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.